Now I want to invite you. I want to just let you know, actually, that you're all invited. I love being invited for stuff. love getting invitations in the mail. And I want you to know that you're invited. There's no age restriction. There's no skills necessary. You don't need any experience to show up. You are invited. And the invitation, it doesn't just come from me. It's not coming from Overland Hills Church or the elder team. This invitation is from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Himself, Jesus, invites you. He invites you to come and die. Come and die. In John chapter 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I have this pot of soil here, and I have some seeds. These seeds are for a variety of different plants and flowers and vegetables, different things. And right now, they're just seeds. It's all they are. Jesus, I could imagine him holding some seeds in his day in his hand when he made those statements. Talking to a number of people, they're surrounded by farms, they know how this works. And he said, these seeds, if they stay in my hand, they just remain seeds. But I invite you to come, and just like this seed is planted in the soil, buried, so that one day it can grow and produce much fruit. The seed has to first die, he says. It's got to go in the soil and no longer be a seed. It's got to be changed into something new, something different. So Jesus invites his disciples and he invites you and I to come and die. Like these seeds have to die in the dirt. Be buried in the ground in Christ so that you can live with him. So come and die that you might truly live. That's the invitation. Would you join with me in praying and asking God to help us see from his word how we might come and die? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning and for your truth. Thank you that it has been preserved for so many years, that it could come and be opened up today and reach our ears, reach our minds, and reach our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would convince us that you are worth it. Show us that we too can die to ourselves and live for you. Speak truth this morning. May that be heard by all who hear this message. May you be glorified in it. And Father, we give you praise for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and what he has accomplished for us in his death on the cross on our behalf. Amen. Well, in the year 387, in a small frontier town of the Roman Empire, In what is modern-day England, there was a 16-year-old boy named Patrick. 
And he would say about himself that he was a wild boy. He was pretty rebellious, even though his father was a deacon in the local church. He did not have much time for the Lord. But one night when he was sleeping, again as a 16-year-old boy, pirates invaded his town. They burned down a bunch of uh, buildings. They stole a bunch of things. And they kidnapped a number of children, Patrick being one of them. And these pirates were from the island of Ireland, and they took Patrick as a slave back to their home island of Ireland, and they put him to work. They sold him as a slave, they moved him to the other side of the island, and he worked as a shepherd, caring for the sheep of his slave master. And there, many nights being cold and wet and alone, feeling hopeless, He remembered the lessons from his mom and dad. He remembered the story of the Lord and of Jesus Christ on the cross. And with nothing left in himself, he cried out to God for salvation. And Patrick grew closer and closer to the Lord year after year. Being completely separated from his Bible and from any other believers, himself alone on a hill Praying to God morning, day, and night, his soul was knit together with the Lord's. He heard the call to come and die so that he might live. And later we'll see how he also heard the call that he might come and die so that the Irish might live. Well, a different man, about the same time as the birth of our nation, the United States of America, There was a young preacher and his wife, and they, too, had a little baby boy. And they named him Adoniram Judson. And from his early days, Adoniram was a brilliant child. Imagine this, parents, that at the age of three, Adoniram's mom taught him how to read in a week. Starting with the ABCs, by the end of the week, he was reading whole chapters out of the Bible. His dad left on that week, and his mom tried to surprise her husband by teaching little Adoniram how to read, and he took it up so quickly. He left without his son knowing a single letter. He returns, and he's reading out of the New Testament to him. Adoniram would grow up and, at the age of 19, graduate college as valedictorian. He was incredibly bright. But after a brief crisis of faith in his late teen years and early 20s, the Lord called him back to himself. And Adoniram, in his mid-20s, heard the call to come and die and to suffer in the land of Burma, which is modern-day Myanmar, to take the gospel to a people that had yet to be reached with the news of Jesus. And Adoniram would know what it means to suffer. He would know what it means to daily come and die. Now a different call, not just a call to come and die, but a call to come and die and be eaten by other people. John Patton, a Scottish minister in the 1800s, heard the call to go to the New Hebrides Islands, which are an island chain between Hawaii and Australia, that at the time was filled with cannibals, 
where they had literally eaten the last missionaries that had gotten there. The missionaries landed on the beach. They attacked them and ate them as a sign of strength and power. And it was a very common practice to eat your enemies. But John Patton sees that danger, but he still hears the call, and he takes the step of faith. And through the Lord's comfort, and through dying to his own safety, dying to himself, Patton would come and die so that he could truly live and leave a legacy of life in his wake. So Patrick, Judson, and Patton, this morning they will serve as some historical examples for us. Three among many that could be offered. And just as a reminder, these are just men like you and I. And we'll mention some of their wives as well, which are just women like you might be. They were not superheroes with extra grace. They needed to trust in the Lord. They had fears. They had sins. They had their own issues. But I think at times they can serve as good examples for us. So that maybe one day we could be mentioned alongside them. As people that came and died with Christ. So that we could truly live. Well, let's look at this call in detail. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open to the book of Mark. And we're going to be in chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the rows and those chairs in front of you. And if you don't own one, you are welcome to take that one home with you. We want to be able to give you God's Word in a modern translation. Maybe you don't have one and one that is easily understood. And so uh, consider it a gift from us to you. Please take the Bible home with you. I encourage you to do that. So in Mark chapter 8, we're going to start reading in verse 27. So Mark 8 verse 27. Starts like this. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan! For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Mm. So Jesus asks his disciples, hey, who do people say that I am? And I don't think that Jesus is overly concerned about his reputation and this question. He's not looking for like, oh, I wonder how they think of me. I'm so nervous. Like, do people understand who I am and what I'm doing? He's not on the edge of his seat looking for confirmation. He knows who he is. Jesus knows that he is God and he knows his mission. But he's using this question to help his disciples understand who he is. So the disciples, they give a variety of answers. Some say Elijah, some say a prophet, others John the Baptist. And Jesus knows that the world does not know him. He knows that they've got it wrong. How could Jesus be John the Baptist when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist? Right? Jesus doesn't respond with, what are they thinking? Do they not pay attention? Right? No, he's not, a, he's not offended by these wrong answers. Jesus knows the world is blind. It does not surprise him. It should not surprise us either. We should not be overly concerned with how the world views Jesus. They get it wrong. The real question is what Jesus follows up with with his disciples. He goes, okay, that's what everybody out there says, but who do you say that I am? Now that's the question. That's the question that changes everything. How you answer that question in your heart, who do you say Jesus is? That impacts your entire life. You will never answer the call to come and die unless you know it is, who it is that makes that call upon your life. If you think Jesus just a prophet, then he will not be the one you go and die for. If you think Jesus just a wise teacher with some good sayings, some helpful morality, then you will not answer the call to come and die. So I say this could be the most important question you ask yourself. Who do you say Jesus is? Not to who I say He is. Not Overland Hills Church. Not the culture. Who do you say Jesus is? Well, we don't know all the answers of all the disciples, but what we have recorded for us is Peter's answer. And Peter answers and says, you are the Christ. You're the Christ. You're the promised one, the Savior, the Messiah, the one who will come as our King and as our Lord, and you will reign over us. You're the one we've been waiting for, Jesus. You're the Christ. And he gets it right. That is the right answer. Patrick, on that hillside in Ireland, he remembered back to the stories his mom and dad would tell him about Jesus. And he asked himself this question. Well, who is this Jesus? 
And he responded in a similar way. And so that Jesus is my Savior. No longer just that guy my dad preaches about. No longer just that historical kind of cultural person that I know of. But he is my Savior. The one who came to die for me. And he is the one that I can love and know. He is my Creator. My Redeemer. And the hope that I have. Even as Patrick was in slavery... He said, I could find joy in the presence of my Savior, Jesus Christ. He remembered back to what his parents shared with him. Let me just take this as an aside to all the parents out there that are praying for their kids and pouring their hearts out for their children, and you don't see the fruit right away. Maybe you should pray that they get kidnapped by pirates and then God will just bring them back to him at some point. I don't know. But we've got to have the long game in view. You may not see the fruit today. Just as if we've been talking for 10-15 minutes now. And I've yet to see the plant grow. When we look at our kids, sometimes we don't see it until the end. So have faith and trust in the Lord and keep speaking the truth. But both Patrick and Peter, they responded that Jesus was the Christ, their Savior, their Messiah, their King. So then Jesus has a follow-up question. If that's how you respond as well, with a similar answer, if Jesus is your Messiah, your Christ, your King, he has another question. Verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Jesus said, the Christ, if you believe I am the Christ, well, the Christ must go and die on a cross. Will you follow? Will you follow me there? And Jesus explains this plainly. I like that little sentence there. He just lays it out. There's no metaphors. We don't need to use illustrations or anything. He just says, I'm going to go suffer and die. Now will you follow me? Suffering and death are what lies ahead for Jesus. And he asks his disciples if they're ready to join him on that journey. See, Jesus did what the disciples could never do, and he died on the cross for our sins. See, his death counted in our place. He's not asking his disciples to go die for their sins or die for other people's sins as some atonement or sacrifice that counts in any way for someone else. That's only what Jesus can do as our Savior. But he's going to suffer and die And that's where he's going to be. So he says, you want to be with me? Then you will follow me there. And it might end up with your suffering and death. So he says it just very matter-of-fact and plainly. Will you follow? I love this story of Adoniram Judson when he was a young man. He's preparing for the mission field. Looking to go over to India and Burma and that whole region. 
Well, he meets a young lady and he falls quickly in love. And he says, ah, if I'm going to go be a missionary, maybe she can become my wife and go with me. But before he can ask her hand in marriage, you know, especially back in the olden days, you had to go somewhere else first. You had to go ask the father, right? You have to ask the dad for permission. Listen to this letter that Adoniram writes to the father of his hopefully soon-to-be fiancé. So this is what he writes to the dad. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved, through her means from eternal woe and despair? Imagine getting that letter as a dad. Like, he had met Adoniram, I think, once. And then he gets this letter. Can your daughter come with me to a violent death and suffering? It's going to be great. Shockingly, the dad says, well, Nancy or Anne, depending is Anne, they called her Nancy for some reason. It's up to you. Up to you. He allows her to make her own choice. And here's what Anne Judson, and I've got a great book about this if you ever want to read it, about her story. Anne Judson wrote this to a friend. Listen to this just heart for the Lord. She says this, I feel willing and expect, if nothing in providence prevents to spend my days in this world in heathen lands. Yes, Lydia, I have about come to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here, sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends, and go where God in his providence shall see fit to place me. She heard the call to come and die, to lay her comforts aside, her affections for family and friends, and to go and follow Christ to the Far East, to India, to Burma. And if you know anything about her story in Adoniram's, did they suffer? Oh, their, their life is marked with suffering. It's too hard to even describe. Yet, they heard the call and they believed Jesus was worth it. So they went. They accepted the invitation. Judson laid it out plainly for his future father-in-law. This is what I'm facing. Can she come with me? Jesus lays it out for us. This is where I'm going, to the cross. Will you follow me? You can read more about Adoniram too, not just Anne, but Adoniram. If you've never read The Golden Shore as a Christian, it's time. 
this time to the Golden Shores. There you go. I brought a bunch of books for you because these are fun. These guys, we read about past historical figures and it just brings encouragement. And like people have done this before, so we can follow them as well. But let's go back to our text in Mark. So after hearing the plain message from Jesus about his plan to suffer and die, Peter doesn't respond with, okay, here I come. What does Peter do instead? Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, hold on, come here, Jesus. Let, let, me, let me talk to you for a minute. And Peter rebukes him. Rebukes Jesus. Like, that is shocking. Peter just admitted that he believes that Jesus is the Christ, his Savior, his God, his King, the Promised One. And then his first act after admitting that is to say, yeah, okay, you're all these things, but I think you got this one wrong, Jesus. Like, are you thinking of this all the way through? I know you know all things, but I think you missed this one. You got all the power to do miracles. I've seen you calm storms, heal the sick, heal the blind. You have all authority to talk down to all the Pharisees and correct any trap that's, you know, that they, they put against you. But I don't know about this one. Peter rebukes him. Could you imagine rebuking Jesus? So then Jesus comes back to Peter and says, Okay, Peter, come here, come here. <laughs> And Jesus rebukes Peter in return and says, get behind me, Satan. Like, whoa, whoa. That seems kind of harsh, don't you think? Just name calling here. But it's appropriate because what Peter was professing was satanic in the sense that it had the mindset of the devil, which is not the mindset of of the Lord. Jesus says, I will obey my Father and go to the cross. And Satan would say, no, 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 don't do that. That's not, that's not right. That's not what you need to do. There's probably another way. And that's the mindset that Peter had, where he said, no, 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 Jesus, don't do that. There's probably another way. There's something else we're missing. We probably have a better understanding than God does. We can figure this out on our own. He has a worldly mindset with his own goals, plans, wants, desires, and mission. That is a different mission than the Lord's mission. And so it is of the devil. So Jesus calls him what he is. He says, that is satanic. So get behind me. Satan, you do not have the things of the Lord on your mind. Instead, he says, you have the things of this world. You have the things of man that you have propped up as more important. So he says to Peter and to the rest of the crowd, because he wants everyone to hear this news, not just Peter, not just the disciples, not just the leadership team, but everyone to hear this response. Where he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You cannot worship yourself and God at the same time. He does not share his glory with anyone 
including you. So you either have the mindset of the Lord or you have your own mindset, which is ultimately the mindset of Satan. You will not grow and bear fruit for the Lord if you remain a seed unchanged by the gospel, refusing to follow the Lord and join Him at the cross. You cannot give God glory when you're taking it all for yourself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this great quote. I want you to consider this. He said, The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. To follow Christ is to come and die to yourself and to trust in Jesus for forgiveness and a new life in Him. To live with a different mindset, different priorities, different goals. You work for His glory, not your own. And in that process of suffering and dying, here's the secret. Jesus also tells you you will find joy and satisfaction. And His grace will be sufficient for you. So consider today, what does it look like for you to deny yourself and take up your cross? Even before Jesus died upon a cross, the disciples knew what it was. They knew it as an instrument of torture and pain and shame, of defeat and death. The cross was reserved for the vilest of criminals to be an example of what you should not do. Nobody would be willing to take up a cross and choose to die upon it. That is foolishness. Who would do such a thing? But Jesus invites his disciples, including you and I, to take up our cross and follow him. And I think we will only ever do that if we truly believe He is worth it. If we think that following Him and dying for Him is worth it. That He is worth it. So John Patton, he was a successful preacher in the inner city of Scotland in the 1800s. And after serving there for about 10 years, he heard the call to go to the New Hebrides Islands. Like I said, there were islands filled with cannibals. And as he was making this uh, kind of pitch to his church and explaining where he was going, what he wanted to do, he's trying to raise money to be sent out on the mission field. It did not go without some difficulty and arguments. In fact, there, was a, a, there were a few in his church that wanted to refuse him the opportunity to go. And he got into a pretty heated argument with one Mr. Dickerson that he records, the back and forth exchange. And let me read to you a little bit about what he said in this little argument with Mr. Dickerson, a member of his church, about what he was going to go do on these islands. So here's what he says. Amongst many who sought to deter me was one dear old Christian gentleman whose crowning argument always was, The cannibals! You will be eaten by cannibals! 
At last, I replied, Mr. Dickerson, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will as rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. All of that, like, hey, what difference does it make? Worms, cannibals. But here's why I love in the middle there, his motivation. I go to honor the Lord Jesus. I go to die serving him. John Patton believed he was worth it. The eternal perspective of seeing from the eyes of God instead of just seeing the here and now with eyes of Satan. So you can hear the confidence in Patton's voice that he will go and he will serve and honor his Savior, Jesus Christ, even if it does mean he becomes somebody's lunch. So when Jesus asked Peter the question, who do you say I am. It comes down to the way he answered. And if you don't answer that question correctly today and believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and he is worth it, then you will not take up your cross and follow him. And let me tell you this morning that Jesus is worth it. If you've never heard that before, believe it. He is worth it. And Jesus actually proves that to us. He doesn't just make this bold statement and then leave us there. He could have done that. But he makes this bold statement to take up your cross and follow me. And then you can see in our text, verses 35 to 38, he gives us four, four statements. F-O-R statements. Four reasons why you should take up your cross and follow him. So let's briefly look through these four reasons that Jesus gives. Number one, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Number two, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Third reason, for... What can a man give in return for his soul? And the fourth reason, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So the first reason, the first four that Jesus wants you to consider is this trade that you're making. Jesus wants you to think about it. What can you consider the cost of following Jesus? Not the cost to follow him, but the cost not to follow him. Have you considered that cost? Jesus is the source of life, the source of eternal life, the source of hope and joy and peace and comfort. And to not follow him is to be separated from those, to be separated from him your Savior. You lose your soul. What kind of deal is that? 
To reject Jesus may spare your sinful self today for a few years, for a few things, but you lose your eternal life. You lose the opportunity to have that eternal life in Christ. That is a horrible deal. The cost to not follow Jesus is far too high. Far too high if you lose eternity. So then he says the second reason. Jesus uses some hyperbole here to prove his point. He says, what if you gained the whole world? Let's just for instance say you ruled everything. You had complete control over all things. Imagine being absolute king over everybody and everything. All the kids' eyes just kind of lit up like, ooh, it sounds good, right? I, I love uh, British TV shows from old. They have some of the most fun over there in England. We watched a show once where they gave the children of the family this, a version of this complete control. They lied to the parents and said they won a cruise. And they would send the parents away for four or five days on this cruise. And they said, we have childcare and everything all set up. It's all good. It's all paid for by the show. They thought they were on some other show. But while the parents are gone, they say to these kids from like three years old up through teenagers, hey, you guys now have complete control over the house. What do you want to do? There's no budget. There's no problem. Whatever you want to do. Little three-year-old's like, I want a bouncy house as my parents' bedroom. You got it. They took away all the furniture, everything out, and they permanently built a bouncy house as the master bedroom. One other kid says, oh, I love watching movies. I love Hollywood. I wish I lived in Hollywood. So they built a hundred-foot sign above their house that said, Hollywood lit up the night sky. It was ridiculous. One family, they built a slide outside their house that went from the kids' room all the way down into the, the, child, the uh, parents' room. And it's just whatever they wanted, the, the sinful nature of the kids came out often because watching that show, most times they would say, oh, my parents would hate this. Let's do it. <laughs> right? And they would spend tens of thousands of dollars destroying these homes. Like permanently huge holes. It's just ridiculous. The parents would come home and be like, ha, ah, complete control. Well, that is a small example of what Jesus is getting here. It says, what if you have that kind of control over the whole world? What if you were to gain control over everything? There's no budget limitations Nobody's going to stop you. You could do whatever you wanted in exchange for your soul. Jesus says, in effect, that is worthless. Worthless to have complete control to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Worthless. What does it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? You have nothing. So then the third reason. For taking up your cross and losing your life. Embracing the pain, shame, defeat, and death that the cross brings. Is, he says, what can a man give in return for his soul? Let's say you give up your soul somehow. Now what do you have to bargain with? What could you give to get it back? What do you have that God does not already own? Answer, nothing. What kind of counsel could you give to the Lord? That he would try and trade 
your soul back to you so that you could give him your wisdom. You have none. God already owns all things. He is all wise, all powerful. He does not need anything from you. So Jesus says, what do you have that you could trade for your soul? You have nothing. So don't give up your soul in the first place. You are bankrupt when you're trying to bargain for it. So if you lose your soul, it's gone. So then the final reason, the fourth one. Jesus says, take up your cross. Otherwise, there will be a relational separation between you and Jesus. If you're ashamed of him here and refuse to follow him, then he, too, will separate from you in the end. See, shame causes us to hide and to separate, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. As soon as they knew that they had sinned, they hid in their shame, and they wanted to stay away from the Lord. That's what shame does. It separates. And so if we have that feeling now, and say, no, I am ashamed to go to the cross, to follow after Jesus, then in the end, Jesus will say to us, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's from Matthew. A more frightening sentence has never been written. The source of joy, all that is good, all that is love, peace, the acceptance we have in Him, the satisfaction we can have in the Lord, our only hope says to us, away from me, I knew you not. So if we are ashamed to come and die and refuse to follow Christ, then He will refuse to allow us to be with Him. Jesus knows that the cross looks scary. Looks scary to him. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had sweat, drops of blood. He knows it is difficult for us to lay the things of this world aside and to follow after him. But he also knows that he will be with us as we go. He will be there to sustain us through the trials. And he knows that in our trials, we can find joy in his presence and satisfaction in his grace alone. That's why Paul could say in Philippians that our suffering is a gift because it draws us closer to the Lord. That's why it says in Romans that we can draw closer to Christ through our suffering because it produces character and hope and endurance and that draws us closer to him. So we can count it joy when we face trials of various kinds. Like it says in James, the closer we draw to Christ, yes, it may seem scary and dangerous, but there in his presence, there is joy, peace, comfort, and love. See, many years ago, Patrick, after being rescued miraculously from slavery, he's back home now, and he is just living life and he hears the call to take the gospel back to the Irish. He has a dream where it seems as if the Irish are calling out to him. Young Patrick, come bring us the news of Jesus. We are lost. We're broken. 
We need our Savior. So Patrick has a choice. Do I take up the cross and follow after Jesus, going back to my slave masters, back to the nation of pirates who kidnapped me? Can I forgive them? Can I bring them the gospel? And the answer was yes, he could. Through the Lord's strength, Patrick took the gospel to Ireland and radically changed that island for generations to come. From the time that Patrick stepped foot on the island, there were no known Christians at the time. Until about 30 to 40 years later, when he was done with his ministry, almost half the island professed faith in Jesus Christ. Tens of thousands, could have even been hundreds of thousands of Christians on that one island. And it changed their destination forever. And Jesus went with Patrick as he served. And Jesus goes with us as well. We do not walk alone. Jesus said in the Great Commission, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Then he finishes it with, And I will be with you always. He gives us this command knowing he will be with us. Psalm 23 even has it in there. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Everywhere we go, Christ goes with us. Jesus does not send you away to the cross. He leads the way and he invites you to join him there. That's the difference. That should give us courage. It should give us a faith that we could take that next step because we know we don't step alone. That Christ will be there in that suffering, in that sacrifice. When I take up my cross, it's ultimately being carried by Christ himself. I love this passage from uh, John Patton, this quote where he talks about the fear that he faced when he finally made it to those islands of cannibals. Patton was there and multiple times had his life uh, almost taken from him. But on one such occasion, this is from his autobiography, he writes about it. But I, I love the realism. It's got both sides. Courage and fear. But always confidence. So listen to this. This is uh, John Patton. A killing stone thrown by one of the savages grazed poor old Abraham's cheek. And the dear soul gave such a look at me and then upwards as if to say, Master, I was nearly away to Jesus. A club was also raised to follow the blow of the killing stone, but God baffled the aim. They encircled us in a deadly ring, and one kept urging another to strike the first blow or fire the first shot. My heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I saw him watching all the scene. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that I was immortal till my master's work with me was done. The assurance came to me as if a voice out of heaven had spoken that not a musket would be fired to wound us, not a club prevail to strike us, not a spear leave the hand in which it was held vibrating to be thrown, not an arrow leave the bow or a killing stone the fingers without the permission of Jesus Christ. 
whose is all power in heaven and on earth. He rules all nature, animate and inanimate, and restrains even the savage of the South Seas. And in that awful hour, I saw his own words as if carved in letters of fire upon the clouds of heaven. Seek, and ye shall find. Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Confidence in the Lord. But this, listen to also the fear. Yet, I never could say that on such occasions, I was entirely without fear. Nay, I have felt my reason reeling, my sight coming and going, and my knees smiting together when this brought close to a violent death, but mostly under the solemn thought of being ushered into eternity and appearing before God. Still, I was never left without hearing that promise in all its consoling and supporting power coming up through the darkness and the anguish. Lo, I am with you always. He had fear. He was going to get eaten alive. He was worried. But he had confidence that Jesus Christ was with him. So, the question remains for us. Will you take up your cross and follow Jesus? Do you see the Christ as worth it? And do you see the cost to not follow him as far too high? In your life today, what's your cross? Is there somebody you need to forgive because of the pain they caused you? Do you need to love your neighbor even though they are difficult to love? Is there something you need to do to serve others around you, to put their priorities above your own? How can you love your enemy, forgive those who hurt you, and serve those around you? Love the hard to love. Is that our cross today? My prayer is that you would lay down your life for the least of these and let the shockwave of your faithful sacrifice reverberate down through the ages in ways that only God knows and plans for. May you bear much fruit in the glory of the Lord and daily take up your cross and follow Him. So the invitation is there for you for me, for all who would hear, come and die. Be planted in the ground so that you can rise and live for Christ and bear much fruit. No matter where you are in life, what you are doing, Jesus Christ will be with you. So deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. To finish with a quote from Patrick, he says at the end of his life, I take this to be a measure of my faith in the Trinity, that without regard to danger, I make known God's gift and the eternal comfort he provides, that I spread God's name everywhere dutifully and without fear, so that after my death, I may leave a legacy to so many thousands of people, my brothers and sisters and sons and daughters, whom I have baptized in the Lord. May we leave such a legacy. May we be people that like Peter, like the disciples, we take up our cross, we meet Jesus in his suffering, pain, shame, 
And we allow Him to be our source of joy, comfort, and love, and peace, even in the midst of trials. And may that make an impact and bear fruit for years and years to come. May we leave such a legacy. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow him. The invitation is for all who have ears to hear. Come and die so that you might truly live. Let's pray. Lord, this is not an easy call. It's not an easy invitation. You knew it would be difficult for us. Perhaps that is why you also give us another promise. That you will be with us. That if we come to you, our burdens will be lightened. And our shame will be handed over to you. And our pain will be borne by you. You will give us strength in the day that it is required. And by your grace, and only by your grace, will we have the power to serve and to move and to forgive and to do the things that you call us to do. So Lord, we cannot take up our cross alone. Meet every one of us here in our hearts right now. Give us the faith to take up our cross today. Give us the courage to take the next step, to do the hard thing, to sacrifice, to have the mindset of heaven and not the mindset of this world. Lord, would you cause Overland Hills Church to be a place filled with people that daily take up their cross and follow you. And may we have an impact on this world to your glory and for your good and in our joy. May we have an impact in this community and in this world in ways that we could never imagine or see. So Lord, we ask this in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and all that he accomplished. Lord, to you belongs all glory and honor. May we count the costs and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.